Hello, and welcome to this property podcast from EG. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor. Today we're delving into the findings of our third annual survey of mental health and well-being in the real estate industry. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the ways we work, blurred the lines between work and home, and created new pressures as businesses adapt. As companies explore whether a return to some degree of normality is now possible, we wanted to know about real estate professionals' well-being over the events of the past year, the support they received from their company and colleagues, and their feelings about a gradual return to more traditional ways of working in the industry, including getting back to the office. You can read more about the survey on our website, and a link to that is in the podcast description. For now, here's a 35-minute conversation I had with Juliet Smithson, Head of Operations at Lionheart, Louise Ashley, Human Resources Business Partner at Savills, and Clara Dawson, HSE and Wellbeing Business Partner at The Crown Estate, about the findings of the survey and the well-being lessons real estate should take from the pandemic. I wanted to start with what I thought was the most promising, I suppose, statistic in, in this year's survey, and that was that almost three quarters of our respondents said that their employers approach to mental health and focus on well-being was better now than it was a year ago. And that figure actually was up slightly from when we asked that same question this time last year. I guess I thought this has been such a terrible period for so many of us, but if it's taught our companies the importance of opening a dialogue about this topic and it's taught senior managers and, and leadership teams the language to have that dialogue in, then that's something of a silver lining to to what we've we've been through. Would you think that's that's fair, Juliet? Definitely. We, we have seen um, more companies approaching us at Lionheart. Um, we've signed up seven new corporate partners recently, and they're people who've come and said, you know, we want some support with a wellbeing program. And um, so definitely any anything that helps keep that grow that conversation, keep that conversation going um, is is great. Um, we have also over the last few years, we, we looked into a, a deep dive into our data recently, and we've seen a 2,900% increase in men asking for help with their mental health. And that's not just been over the last year, that goes back some years, but that's the scale of, of the growth since we started our program um, on, on the back of the, the John O'Halloran um, initiative and, and, and John's death. Um, and we've grown that program, um, but yeah, a 2,900% increase in men accessing support for mental health is both kind of uh, sobering, but also yes. quite encouraging that, you know, people are um, not, it's not great that they're in that position, but at least they are finding a way of uh, getting some help. Louise, you made the point we, when we were talking just before, a lot of a lot of the trends in this area I guess as with as with so much that the pandemic's changed, they were already happening, yes. but there's been such an acceleration effect over uh, over the last eighteen months or so. Definitely, I mean, um, we started our journey in terms of our program around mental health back in 2017 when we signed the Time to Change pledge, and as part of that, we um, we uh, had seven areas that we wanted to tackle, um, breaking down stigma, but getting um, senior leadership um, support. Um, we've trained a lot of mental health champions across the business. We've got just shy of about 200 now. And also in the last uh, 12 months, we've set up a programme for um, managers' mental health training with one of our benefit providers. 
Um, and that's been that's been the take up of that has been really good. Um, we've also got senior management that are engaging in those wellbeing conversations about mental health. They're helping us run our programs. We've got a couple of our exec directors that are mental health champions, which has been great. Um, and we've um, we've made a big investment in some of our benefits. So we rolled out um, a, a online mental health um, platform for all of our employees where we fund um, sessions, 30 minute or 60 minute sessions for them to have um, counselling, life coaching. And the take up has been great. We monitor the, you know, the statistic. We don't know who uses the platform. It's confidential, but we get we get um we get usage stats um, and it's been important for us to make sure that actually that service has been available to everybody in the business, um, you know, all levels, all roles um, and the take up has been um, has been really good. Um, so it's been really positive. I think um, the pandemic has allowed people to um, be educated um, in mental health because it's brought it to the forefront and lots of people have been asking for more information, more support. Um, it, it's it's made people have to talk about it a lot more. Clara, I know a, a lot of the sort of types of initiatives that Louise is talking about there at Savills uh, will chime with, with what the Crown Estate has been doing as a business. I think one thing uh, that we have introduced this year is um, my whole self sessions that we run once a month um, where employees um, can come together in what we call a safe space and share their stories. So we normally have a couple of employees leading the conversation and uh, the topics that we've um, focused on have been have ranged from talking about anxiety and their journey uh, with that. Also one of our employees going through um, being transgender, she was talking about her journey with that. Um, so every month we've got something that we'll focus on and it's been such a success at the moment. And I'd also I'd like to reiterate about the uh, mental health first aiders. Um, I think that has been um, fantastic support for employees. And it isn't just about putting employees or mental health first aiders on a training course. It's also about what we do to support the mental health first aiders as well. So um, we've invested a lot of time ensuring that um, we continue with the learning um, the mental health first aiders can continue with their skill set and practicing them. So we meet with them once a month. And again, with that group, we have uh, focus on a different topic as well. So whether it's about active listening, um, how to approach somebody that might be struggling, how to start the conversation um, from grief to menopause, etc. So I think the pandemic is devastating, has been devastating. But I would agree that there has being some positive coming from it and that mm. the talking about mental health and well-being has escalated so that is a massive positive from my side. But what I find with maybe in the industry um, and also with family and friends that there seems to be a lack of understanding by individuals about their own mental health um, because there seems to be so much information out there, whether it's internally within our own businesses and externally, because there's so many charities, so many places to access the information that sometimes it can be overwhelming to the point that what I notice that people just don't take notice anymore. Um, and I, I have found what's worked really well for us, um, and it's been mentioned here already, is when the senior management have been talking positively about well-being and mental health and 
talking about it as if it's a like an everyday subject um they've made it the norm um there's so much power in sharing stories um yeah. there's just so much power in talking isn't there um and what i've also noticed and i don't know does anybody else notice this as well is that behaviors um are learned we've we've created them and i've just found when leaders have spoken positively about well-being and mental health that we all seem to follow <laughs> um so i just feel that we do all have almost like a duty to educate ourselves um and both employees and leaders um and everybody we do have a responsibility to understand um the information that's been provided to us so yeah it's just interesting i have been thinking a lot about it that lack of understanding when when you see it in 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 perhaps colleagues or friends how does that manifest itself it's it's people who are perhaps ignoring signs that other people might see in them about the struggles that they're they're going through Do you know i think it's 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 like when we break any bone or we can damage any organ and people understand our pain and struggles and i just i find that anything that's associated with mental health which is our brain and which is an organ we seem to struggle to understand and empathize sometimes and i'm really generalizing now it's just it's funny how we can't see our heart but people understand what a heart attack is but people still don't understand what depression anxiety or you know even something like being bipolar except what that means um people understand what the words mean sometimes even when they go through it themselves they don't fully understand what it is so that's what i'm saying that we need to educate ourselves as well um we need to understand what mental health means We've, there's so many tools that have been provided i think it's down to the individuals now and to ask the question if they don't understand what it means um that we need to treat mental health i.e the brain same as every other organ that we would in our in our body i i agree with what clara's saying there is a lot of information out there and i think as as humans we naturally focus on the negatives and so people base their base what they know on depression or bipolar or um, any of those conditions on what they see in maybe the newspapers or um, the you know on tv programs how things are portrayed and that's one of the things that we cover in our um, mental health champion training is um, you know learn a bit more about um, some of those conditions that maybe your colleagues are are having to deal with short term long term and to be in an environment or provide it or you know we provide an environment where people can actually ask some questions um you know no question is a is a is a silly question but do it in a safe environment where we can actually help a manager and colleagues to understand what somebody's going through because it's it's it, it's quite individual to all of us we all have mental health sometimes it's good sometimes it's not so good um but to provide that safe environment where people can ask the questions comfortably and we can say, no, that's not quite right. Or, or you know, let's look at this or this is a source where, where we could look. But it also is about taking that personal um, responsibility um, to to sometimes go in and read up on these things and use the resources that are available. We used to run a, a three hour um, course on um, mental health in the workplace and just helping people to understand, you know, what does. What does depression look like? What might your colleague be experiencing if if they're bipolar? Um, and taking these common 
and just and we've actually stripped the detail down and actually um distilled it down to a 40 45 minute webinar which we put on our webinar link uh, our webinar library because we just need to put it into the hands of people and we were running it and running it and running it but actually people need to access it right here right now I, I'm, I'm spotting something in my colleague doesn't look quite right this is not how they normally are and they can just access it and it, but you're right Cara there's a lot of uh, a whole lot of information mm. and we've just got to make sure we signpost people to the best sources of information and we're all in kind of detail overload I think we've all been um, working um, I, I was uh, looking at um, something a, a women leaders group that I'm part of and they were um, saying you know, one of the things they're challenge they're dealing with is how do we deal with when people go back to the office they suddenly become less productive than they are at home because it feels like you know you're on a team's meeting and you're straight into another team's meeting and then you've got you're dealing with emails while you're waiting for your spot to speak and all of all of that we're just running it feels like at 100 miles an hour mm. and so there is all the information but we've got to make it really accessible and make sure that people are signposted to you know, here's a really simple explanation of what's going on and uh, and it's you know it's easy to access it's easy to read it's easy to find because we're all drowning in content mm. I totally agree with that absolutely and you know the one thing that I'm really focusing on at the moment and trying to practice myself is active listening and I know it's part of the mental health first aid but actually when you put it into practice because we're so because you're saying Juliet that we're so busy with everyday life and we're running 100 miles to actually actively listen is a skill that we should all practice and learn how to do it because when you put it into action it's a lot more difficult to for a lot of us than you think because mm. our minds are just wandering um we're always thinking about oh my god what am i going to put on for dinner oh no i've got another meeting to go to that i haven't prepared for but actually being in the moment and listen to when a colleague is talking to us is does take practice i would say for myself. and i think that's a lot harder to achieve in a book yeah. place it when is those, those office um I, I noticed when the, the days when we have been back in the office there's been a tendency to meetings don't you know the 10 o'clock doesn't start until kind of five past ten because oh, I'll just go and get a coffee I just need to yeah. coffee, I just need to mm -hmm. do and actually it's those moments that we're missing on in that virtual space and working from home is great I'm a, a passionate believer in it but I, I think we do have to acknowledge the the additional demands it's placing on us all uh, yeah, I would say having a Teams meeting, you know, all day, it's quite draining because only how we communicate it through words is a very small percentage of um, of our communication process, isn't it? We, we normally take a lot from body language, from um, the presence of other people. We, you know, we gather energy from, from each other. So having those meetings in the office or wherever you want to have the meetings, it, you know, I think it's really exciting. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. Actually being in the presence of human beings, it's going to be fantastic. And also feeling, you know, physically safe and emotionally safe, I think will be absolutely wonderful as well. Well, we, we asked respondents quite a number of questions in this survey about how the changes in working practices during the pandemic had affected their, their well-being. And um, there was there was a real split here between people who felt that their well-being had been actually supported more while they were working remotely and those who who felt better supported in the office and i suppose when we asked those questions i would i would never really have expected there to be a clear cut answer as to which way of working had 
had had proved the most supportive for people but that split really did underscore for me the the impossibility for any leadership team to think that there will be a, a one size fits all one path way towards uh, a new normal this is all about individuality and and recognizing within individuals within teams the the most effective way of moving forward in terms of using working practices to support well-being i think that's an interesting response that you received um that people feel supported one way but not the other i, I really don't think a one-size-fits-all approach works no. as you're talking about i really 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 don't um what i do think is we have such a great opportunity to look at how we can be inclusive of all of our employees and their preferred way of working there are a lot of it's not just mental health there are a lot of um i've been reading a lot of stuff about you know hybrid working and working from home is really enabling people who have disabilities to Mm, access work which um you know previously the thought of being in an office five days a week perhaps would have been too much for them but um with some adaptations they're able to access work and i think we've got a kind of i think we're going to be in that messy hybrid space with different levels of hybrid arrangements for different people um but and i think uh, as as leaders we've got to be comfortable with um there isn't a one-size-fits-all and um and a a spectrum of um of working practices is probably going to be where we're going to be best placed to sit yeah because some of us are introverts extroverts some people are considered neurodivergent we're you know we're not all robots so i suppose if we have an environment where we can all you know be creative and where we can thrive it does make sense doesn't it i do think though for each company you know it will look different um so i think they're in a better place to decide what's right for them so i think what works for one company is not going to work for another um and i'm, I'm going to go back to physical and emotional si- um, safety i think you know the objective should be to create spaces where people do feel safe physically and emotionally I think there's also been uh, quite a lot of vitriol in some of the press uh, aimed at people who are working from home, the implication that they're not working and they're um, watching uh, TV or, you know, Mm. doing other stuff. Actually, I think my team have felt quite kind of attacked by that because we we have been working from home and, and, and working incredibly successfully. You know, we've increased all of our services and and we've we've managed that really seamlessly um, but there yeah there's um i think sometimes there's an an element of our mainstream media that's really not been helping people's mental health because if you're working hard at home and then big national newspapers tell you that you're slacking it's not good there's um there's an interesting choice of words i often think where you will see people talk about rather than a return to the office a return to work as if being at home yeah. isn't yeah. isn't, isn't yeah. Yeah. carrying out work. Mm. Well, we, so, um, it makes me scream at the TV. I am working. I have been working. We've effectively been working. We've actually been living at work, haven't we, for a long period of time. Um, and I agree with you, Julia. I think that a majority, you know, I think good, big, large numbers of people in all organisations have been working so hard 
um, so hard. The pressure, <clears throat> and you know, has increased a lot. And and I think because there's been those blurred lines between the office and and your home space, that uh, people have been working long hours. Client um, clients. Uh, are expecting more we're certainly seeing um seeing that and um and it's meant that people have been working really long hours and and not not having some sort of flexibility or that break between home and work um and i also think that the whole trust piece about whether people are working from home or watching the tv or have gone out for that um afternoon walk which we we were encouraging completely so that people had that break um and it, that they had the break when it worked for them and when it was when it was best for them but you're also even if you were in the office there's still going to be people that aren't working all of the time and that needs to be be remembered <laughs> that is so true because people like to talk in the office um yeah. but that's where we get our creativity and bounce off each yeah. other so i think there's there's a place for the office and there's a place for hybrid working as well, yeah. working elsewhere. Um, and I, I think you mentioned a key word there about trust. We need to trust our teams. Because yeah. if there isn't trust, then there's something there's something that something else we need to deal with. It's not about where we're working. It's there's another element that may be an issue um, that might need to be picked up by the manager or senior leaders. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I thought that, I love that word trust. I really do when it comes to teams. Juliet, we, we've spoken before about the rise you saw in calls to the helpline from people who were feeling very anxious about going back into the office. I, I wonder, that was that was a, some months ago now that, that, that we last touched on that, but have you seen that continue? Has the trend shifted in any meaningful way? Yeah, we, we do see peaks um, and, and troughs in that. We did see that huge peak earlier in the year when there was this shift and um and and i think i talked to you about just you know leaders needing to be made to be aware that um that that people were scared and uh, and were still nervous particularly around you know the the school situation Uh, i think that there was some stuff on the bbc yesterday about um you know most kids are going to get covid that is where is a worry for parents because they you know they, they are looking at a winter when they're going to have a child at home um, and, and they're going to have to need to work around that. And that brings back all that the stress of homeschooling back in sort of early part of 2020. Um, so, yeah, we are still seeing people who are, who are nervous and people who also we've seen a massive increase in young people's mental health. Um, there was a piece um, being trailed heavily earlier in the week about um, it was one in six, one in ten young people with a diagnosable mental health condition, and it's now looking like it's one in six. But they're all part of families. They've got they've got um, adults in their lives who are working, but also trying to balance what's happening at home. And and we know that if you've got a teenager who's struggling with their mental health, it's not just the teenager who's struggling. The parents they're struggling if they they. they don't know what to do. They also can't access services. We've seen a massive um, cuts in, um, and, and a rise in waiting lists in community mental health services for adolescents. And that's we're seeing that's we've just commissioned our own youth counselling service because we're seeing people on the helpline asking for help. What can I do? Um, you know, even saying, you know, my child, I'm being told my child's not not bad enough. To get into a referral to a service um, and so we've just 
decided to you know commission our own service but we've got all of that going on for people as as well and you know that's knocking on to our adult service and we've got situations where we've got children in our young people service going forward and we've got their the adults in their lives in the in the adult counseling service um so we've got um that i think people are any change is just a risk of being the straw that makes the camel's back now i, I think if, and, and if it is well I'm, I'm keeping my plate spinning but i'm i'm at home and then suddenly actually could you go into the office three days a week is the thing that just feels like it that's the the, the breaking point because it's just one extra change it's one extra demand and i think we've just got to be a bit trusting of our teams to say i, I can't do this right now but also enabling people to say I can't do this right now and not to keep um, keep things hidden and keep going until they just fall apart. I think that's a really good point again um, we need to understand the demographics of our employees and what's and understand and remember that we all have a personal life as well and that balance between work and personal life it's very grey now because I, I my personal opinion would be that it was quite black and white you're at work you're at work if you're at home you're at home but with the pandemic, it has, especially for those working in the office environment, it is slightly more grey now. The hours are longer. We do check our emails in the evening, which, you know, we do try and discourage at all points. Um, but I think understanding that our employees are human beings as well. And also for managers to, you know, to ensure that they have the skill set to be able to back to actively listening have empathy towards their teams and empathy isn't something that we're all naturally born with it's it's something else that actually we can learn to be empathetic we don't have to go through the experience of you know you don't have to have children to understand that somebody with a young family is struggling you don't have to have depression to understand that one of your colleagues is you know not having a good day or not having a good month that's Mm -hmm. okay because what is good for that person you know we just need to open up that dialogue and ensure that we do have, give them the space to express what they're going through um, in their personal life and how to ensure that they continue to thrive at work because these things can happen, but you can still thrive at work. We just need a little bit of flexibility um, yeah. and an understanding. Yeah. Um, and and a, a communication allowing people oh to God, communicate. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, it's a bit like that asking twice campaign, yes. isn't it? Um, yeah. How are you? I'm okay. Are you sure? Or, um, you know, and someone someone might choose not to tell you how they're feeling, but actually they might, with a bit of time to think, they might come back an hour later or they might come back a day later and just say, can we have that conversation? Um, we've definitely been trying to encourage people to do that. I think also having, I think we all have probably have seen a bit more into our colleagues' lives from being yeah. on virtual meetings and conversations you know you've seen sort of in, inside people's homes you've seen family members you've seen pets on screens and so I think our managers do recognize that some employees have got you know that all employees have got different different pressures and and you know we we, we have to be flexible around that we you know we've if we want to retain our good employees we've we've people want flexibility they want um a bit of the choice about if they're going into the office, if they don't have meetings that they need to attend, or if they've got particular pieces of work that they need to sit down and concentrate on, that they've got the ability to make that decision on where they're going to be working 
um, part of the week. Um, I think also people are struggling with coming back into office with the, the rise in um, volumes and having lots of people around and having been used to sort of being able to get your head down, focus on things and then coming back into the office and there being the, the chatter amongst colleagues and the person you haven't seen for a few months stops by the desk and you have a 15 minute conversation and those interactions that I suppose we all took for granted mm. back in t- 2019 yeah. um, and getting used to those now. We asked respondents for an idea of what they thought their employer could do, an initiative, a a project that would have the greatest positive impact on their well-being as we kind of move to, you know, past the the pandemic. And there were some really varied answers here. I mean, some people were talking about shifts in working practices and, and, and Clara, that idea of, you know, not, not sending emails after hours or at weekends came up there. Um, a, a focus on maybe fewer meetings was mentioned. Some people were talking about, and we've touched on this too, just more conversation within the business that helps people to realize there shouldn't be a stigma attached to discussing well-being in work and seeing their line managers and their leaders you know open to to talking about this and sharing their stories and then there were these you know there were there were more concrete mental health focused initiatives so people saying they they'd like their company to put mental health first aiders in place and um make counseling services more more available to the teams but there was there was one quote that I thought I'd just I'd put to you at the end because I think it encapsulates a, a lot of what we're talking about today and have been really throughout this this program at EG. Um, this was someone who said that the best thing they thought their employer could do was not forget the lessons that COVID has taught us mm. to be an inclusive, supportive community, recognizing that. Flexible work has got a physical and and mental benefit. And then they added, I can see a force gathering to go back to the old ways and forget what COVID has taught us. And so the voices, the voices that are are pushing against that, they said, need to be supported so that a wider workforce is engaged and included. And I thought that that notion of making sure we don't simply, once we start seeing people back in the office, working in something that approaches a more traditional way making sure that we don't forget what we've been talking about over this last 18 months is i feel like that's arguably something we absolutely have to grasp like the the biggest risk would be to slowly stop the conversation so that when we ask the question a year from now has your employer's focus on well-being improved over the last year people think well it's either stayed where it was or it's taken a step back yeah, but I think it's down to people, down to all of us. It's down to, you know, everybody in this room today. It's down to the employees. It's down to leadership to continue that conversation. Um, it's, you know, don't, we can't stop the conversation. The world is continuously yeah. changing and moving on. We're, you know, what is the new norm? We're not going back to the old norm, whether people like it or not, because the world is moving on um, and I don't think there is a place to stop talking about well-being. I do firmly believe well-being needs to be in a place where it's in, ingrained in yeah. our everyday lives. It's, you know, for me at the Crown Estate, it touches every single department, whether it's uh, we're designing in well-being. So it's with the development team and designers. It's with um, uh, it's on our construction sites. It's with sustainability. It's with the people team. It's with everybody. It's 
heavily with the health and safety team. So well-being is not something that should be in isolation, that we just talk about it for two years and then suddenly it's over. It's not. It's it's ingrained it's in our lives. Yeah. That runs through every part of your organisation. Yeah. What and and you you know even down to things like I know procurement can be asking what are you doing? What are you, what, yeah. Yeah. what are you doing that for your workforce for your straight down the supply chain? We're we're asking um, even as a charity we don't procure massive contracts but we're asking the question what are you doing what are you doing for diversity what are you doing about mental health what yeah are you, um, yeah absolutely doing? it's got to be and that that inquiry has got to to feel meaningful it's got to feel like it's not just a it's not just a box on a on a one-to-one form that's an organizational requirement but it's actually got to be um a genuine um open question um, that's asked regularly and routinely so that it isn't um it's not um a difficult conversation for someone to open up and say things are not great right now yeah because i mean at the moment we're looking so i'm creating a well-being minimum standard so when we're working with our supply chain that that conversation does continue so in my eyes, it should be part of contracts, and you're right, it should be part of procurement. Um, so there is no opportunity in the future for well-being and an inclusive well-being for it to drop at any point, so that it is documented in our procedures that it's not going anywhere. I mean, I think I think we reach the point where well-being or mental health has to be further. Um, further legislation has to come out for that, which is a different topic altogether. Um, I think that will be an interesting point where actually companies are forced to do it, which I think in itself is a little bit sad because I think we should want to do it. Um, I do, and it's just come to my mind actually, because a lot of people and a lot of companies don't understand how to do it, how to um, introduce wellbeing or mental health, how to start those conversations, how to create a policy. And I think as leaders in the in the area, we there's an opportunity to help these companies and to allow them to say, I, I really don't know how to do a well-being policy. So to actually work with them, because it doesn't cost a lot of money. I think it will be, uh, well, there are, st- everyone's struggling to recruit. There are mm, mm, mm. shortages. And if we, yeah. we have to stop writing people off because they've had a rocky mental health history. Yeah. Um, and we have to make it easy for people to have some time out of, of work and and to come back and we have to it it makes sense good business sense if you if you're able to accommodate people's um mental health challenges from time to time and you're able to do that well um then you know your your chain of people you won't well you won't need to spend so much on recruitment you won't have so many gaps you won't um you'll you'll be you know fishing in a bigger pool of people Uh, and, and that's a good thing for business but it's a great thing for society as well good for business and society sounds like an aim real estate should be keeping in mind across all of its operations thank you to our guests on this podcast and thank you for listening you can head to egi.co.uk forward slash mental dash health for more on this year's survey and our other well-being coverage